Wisconsin's afternoon news is on the air. Broadcasting live from the Annex Wealth Management Studios at the Avenue in beautiful downtown Milwaukee. Here's John McCure. All right, happy Monday. Sandy Max is here. So is Greg Matzik and Debbie Lazaga. Adam Roberts is producing the show this afternoon. And we've got stuff that we are checking out today. This is the three. At three on Wisconsin's afternoon news. All right, Sandy, where do we start? A new era of policy for body camera transparency seems to be on the horizon for the city of Milwaukee. The Fire and Police Commission needs to decide when and how they will release body cam footage, and it seems that there's a consensus around these couple of points. It seems that they're leaning towards making all that footage available to families of those hurt or killed by police within 48 hours of the incident, and it would be within 15 days that they would release it publicly. Right now, it's 45 days, a month and a half is their guideline, and there's no teeth into that. They can move that if they think they're extenuating circumstances. But the Fire and Police Commission is expected to decide on Thursday whether or not to release all this stuff much sooner than they have in the past. What's the second thing? America's largest bridal retailer is filing for Chapter 11 bankruptcy. David's Bridal. One in four brides in America buy their dress from David's Bridal. And they say that they've been hurt because of the pandemic, but then even as weddings came back, they've been hurt by inflation, online retailers, thrift stores, and a shift to more casual weddings. And so they have indeed filed for bankruptcy. Listen to this number. They have 10,000 employees. They're getting rid of 9,000 of them, (gasps) 90% of their workforce, but they're still keeping all their stores open with skeleton staffs as they hope that somebody purchases them. Wow. Because I think that is something you try on. Right. You get that magic yes. feeling, like you. I, I haven't been married. I haven't done this, but you know, I yeah. get the whole. This is your special day. My daughter was in town this weekend and picked out her wedding dress here in Milwaukee, and she went to the shop, and it was like, oh, there's the one. Yeah. Yeah. So I think you're right. But she didn't go to David's bridal, did she? she She's did part not. of the problem. <laughs> She's right. You're right. She I'm did teasing not. you. No, you're right. But it, I, I wonder how yeah. the wedding industry has evolved since the pandemic as well. Yeah. All right. What's the third thing we're tracking today? Third thing, very important. We had snow this morning. Today is the start of Severe Weather Awareness Week. Yikes. And it's uh, nothing to to joke about. I'm sure you'll see all the meteorologists on television, and I'm sure Brian Nisnansky will have some tips to share later today and throughout the week, and we'll be informing you during the newscast. But you don't mess around with tornadoes. You don't mess around with tornadoes, and uh, you have kind of a connection to this story, which I'm fascinated well, by. Well, I, I do. I grew up in Louisville, Kentucky, and when I was a kid, my dad was a newscaster, and he was the reporter, April 3rd, 1974, who broke the news that there was a ten- tornado warning, and this was the first of the super tornado outbreaks. It was devastating. Uh, this is a sample from... Day of the Killer Tornadoes documentary. A tornado warning has been issued for part of Kentuckiana. WHAS now transmits the tone to activate special receivers. The severe thunderstorm warning has been changed to a tornado warning for Metro Louisville, Jefferson County, including Meade. In the sky above, Dick Gilbert, the station's airborne traffic reporter, is already keeping watch. Hey, Dick, uh, what can you see at this point? So that was my dad. What a great voice. Ah, How cool. You. He yeah, is a very well-respected journalist. That's really cool. And uh, I found air checks where he's going through the safety, you know, where you should go, yeah. get into a ditch. Um, so wow. don't mess with it. Because I remember I was a kid in daycare, and I remember being whisked down to the church yep. basement and singing songs to pass the time, having no idea that For dozens sure. of tornadoes were ripping through and destroying yeah. Kentucky. 
All right. Good stuff, Sandy. Coming up at 317, just a couple of minutes from now, here's what we're going to do. Trenny Kuznarek. You remember that name? Trenny Kuznarek. She is from our area. She works for NBC in Boston. She joins us live from Boston on this 10-year anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombing. That's up next. Sounds from 10 years ago. It's the 10-year anniversary of the Boston Marathon bombing. Our friend Trenny Casey is with us, NBC Sports Boston. Tren, how are you? I'm well, thanks, guys. Thanks for having me on. Oh, it's so good to have you on, even though your name and is such, different. I would say such, it's like so much easier to introduce me now. You save like 15 minutes. So I was saying to Greg and Sandy, I'm surprised she changed her last name. And then I was like, but Trenny. Is such a unique name that everybody would still know you because you're you're like the great athletes. You're kind of a first name person, you know, Trenny. Exactly, Uma, Oprah, Trenny. Like <laughs> exactly. Pele. Let's put Cher and Madonna like, in there too. Giannis. Yeah. yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Honestly, though, that, to be honest, when I was thinking about changing my last name, I'm just. It, I, I just have always wanted an easier last name. It just took me until I was, you know, in my mid forties to meet someone to marry that had an easy last name. And someone's like, are you really going to change? And I was like, yes, because I'm tired of spelling and pronouncing my first name and my last name. I'm like, so now it's just that I only have to explain one. Now I only have to explain the origin of one. <laughs> that's it's funny. Just, like, simplified my life. Although now people call me Casey because they think that's my first name. So it's like, no. <laughs> well, it's, a, it's a learning curve there, Trent. Oh, absolutely. I, I thought you might be running in the marathon this year. I know you've done it before. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I didn't. Um, I ran it in October of 21. Um, and I just had been like running a lot at that point was pretty beat down and thought about it. Maybe I would try to run for a charity at being the 10th anniversary and all, and just decided against it. Just try to trying to get my body back into some sort of running shape. So I'm going to do a half marathon in November and I've got the bug. I definitely like today, my workout at the gym, I was like, Oh, maybe I can do another marathon. Maybe I can try to qualify again because it really is such a spectacular day. And, you know, I know you guys started the segment off with the, um, the Nat sound from the terrible day, um, 10 years ago, April 15th, 2013, when two bombs went off at, um, and near the finish line, um, of the, of the Boston marathon. And it really, everyone this weekend, it was just such a celebration. Um, it, it's just it's pretty amazing to see the resiliency of the city, um, the spectators, the runners. I mean, there were 30,000 plus people on the course again today and probably close, even though it was rainy and kind of chilly out today, like 51 degrees and rain, um, you know, the, it was, the course was still packed. Um, and, and I think a large part of that had to do with that people wanted to show their support 10 years later that, you know, the terrorists weren't going to win. Uh, Boston was going to win. Well, Trenny, that, yeah, hashtag Boston Strong was all around 10 years ago when that happened. How are survivors participating or still being honored today? Yeah, so that's a great question. Some um, did participate in the marathon. Some have prosthetic legs that they're able to run with. Um, Some have chosen to go the hand cycle route, um, and so they they ran that way. I think one of the most touching moments, um, Martin Richard, who would have been 18 years old this year, he died when he was eight years old at the the bombing, his brother and three of his best friends, who also just turned 18, you need to be 18 to run the marathon, they ran in his honor. And this is the last time that the the MR8, which is what they they, they named the charity in honor of Martin, um, this is the last running um, of that charity. They're not going to retire their bibs and sort of move forward. There's actually a big piece on Jane Richard, 
um, his sister who lost a leg in the bombing, talking about how, you know, it's, it's been difficult to sort of be the face of the bombing, right? Um, you know, but her family having to carry so much, not just of the grief of losing a brother and a son, but also having to sort of carry an entire city on their shoulders and always, you know, kind of be forward facing. Um, and, and it's interesting to talk to, to, to survivors and, and the, the families of victims who say you just, it's always a grieving process. It never ends. And you just have found a new way to live um, and a new way to be hopeful. But what happened that day never leaves you. Uh, Trent, I watched the documentary over the weekend on Netflix. Powerful. You're there. Does that drudge up memories that are difficult for people? Does it bring closure to, my gosh, look what happened 10 years ago? What's your reaction and the Boston reaction to the documentary? I think it's difficult. Um, a lot of friends have tried to watch it and have had to watch it in pieces. I haven't been able to bring myself to watch it yet. Um, I mean, I've only seen a couple of, you know, there were some flashback shorter videos that like the Boston Globe um, put up on their website. And every time I watch something or watch a piece on um, a survivor or the Richard family, I'm just brought to tears. I mean, it is really difficult. And I mean, Listen, I was at the marathon that day, but I wasn't anywhere near the finish line by the time the bombs went off. But when you were here and, and you lived through the panic and the fear and the unknown and the lockdown um, when the Zarnaya brothers were on the run on that Friday um, following the marathon, seeing tankers and trucks, like those are just images that never leave you and always just leave you with just sort of a it, – it's difficult to relive over and over again. I'll probably watch it at some point. Um, but I know it's difficult for people. But I also know that people take a lot of pride in the fact um, that the marathon didn't miss a beat um, other than the year, of course, that everything shut down for everyone in the world in 2020 um, during COVID. Um, they have found a way to run the marathon every single year um, since 2013. Yeah, it's remarkable. I mean, 2014, they, they did it. It was a remarkable yeah. tribute to the spirit of the city. Yeah, and that was like a beautiful, I mean, I remember that day. it was a little warm, actually, to run a marathon. I think it was like uh, upper 60s, low 70s, but I, I ran that year, um, and I just remember going through every town. I'm getting chills remembering it right now. The Boston Strong signs everywhere, the American flags, people chanting USA. I mean, there was, I mean, it's always an incredible race. There's always a ton of spectators. But that year in particular, they were four or five people deep in every single town along that route. It just was, it was, it, it was spectacular. It was a spectacular day to say, you know, we're back and we're not going to, to um, we're not going to let what happened stop us. Trenny Casey from Muskego. Now she's in Boston. It's always good to catch up with you, Trent. Thank you so much. Yeah, you too, guys. If you need anything, let me know. Maybe maybe a little Bucks, Celtics, yep. Conference Finals preview. I, I am pushing for that because I so. uh, we, there's another dinner in store for us. The last time it was fun, at a small yes. group. We went out to a little place in the North End. We loved it. Uh, I got a cannoli afterwards, too. It was nice. delicious. At Mike's Pastries. Yeah, I, did. I would love, I would love for the Milwaukee <laughs> contingent to make your way back to Boston. All right, that if that happens, awesome. we're going to hook up with you, Trun, for sure. All right, guys, have a good day. The world can be a messy place. Yep. And we at Wisconsin's Afternoon News think it could do with a little more nice. 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 Oh, that's nice. Say something nice to me. This is something nice on Wisconsin's Afternoon News. We need something nice on a day where we woke up with snow. You got that right. On an April morning. Yes. You guys know any good dad jokes? I got tons of dad jokes. <laughs> yes. 
<laughs> what do you got? You've been perfecting these over the years, yeah. haven't you? I've you got dad that. jokes? Uh, well, I don't tell the great dad jokes because I'm not a dad, but you know yeah. who does? Uh, our favorite Giannis Attentacumpo, like, like this one. I got a joke. When the cows go out, where do they go? To the movies. <laughs> See? <laughs> that is a dad joke. Ideal example of a dad joke. And here's the good news. Embarrassing dad jokes? You may be helping your child's development. Oh, okay. Because you're making it easy for them to understand that moments of awkwardness that usually accompany a dad joke, it's a good lesson because <laughs> it's survivable. It's not that long. Just a little awkward. You're resilient. It, it'll end. <laughs> At some it'll point. End. Hopefully. <laughs> yeah. That, that, that it's just bear oh, with it. That's just very bear nice. with it. Um, that is also very good because it is father and child bonding. Well, you know, and in some You're respects, exchanging that humor. You, you, I, I really look forward to the point where my children actually get the dad joke. So in my kindergartner, Kendall, we were doing our little calendar. We got a little wall calendar and we it's a dry erase board and we write numbers on it. And I told her, I said, hey, sweetie, I'm, I'm, I'm a little worried about the calendar she said, why why would you be worried about a calendar i said well its days are numbered and i just sort of walked away and she just stood there had no idea well, what are you talking about like Dad? when she actually gets that joke i will be very proud what did the horse say after it tripped uh-oh <laughs> help i've fallen and i can't giddy up oh and adam roberts with the uh with the rim shots i'm appreciating that now here's what's even funnier that you bring that up Greg, that you hope that your child will tell the joke uh, because the expert who did this study in England also said that through <laughs> painful repetition, you get to experience the same old joke, go through waves of being unfunny and then so unfunny and, that right. it does it become funny. funny again. Yes. <laughs> but one day you may overhear your children spontaneously telling that same joke, perhaps when they themselves have become parents. And that is concrete evidence that our input as parents <laughs> does have an impact. This is what my dad used to tell. And okay. I still remember See? it. What do you call an angry carrot? A steamed veggie. <laughs> Why am I laughing? <laughs> right. How do you make an egg roll? Uh, you push it. You push it. Wait, I don't get that one. Uh, how do you make an egg roll? You push it. It's how supposed to be egg roll it? like a Chinese food. Put it on a hill. But how do you make an egg? Never mind. Oh, oh, you push it down the hill. Okay, I, I get that Why now. can't you hear Sorry. a pterodactyl going to the bathroom? <laughs> Because the P is silent. Yeah, there you go. Oh, my. I, I remember going over the alphabet with Riley when she was probably three years old. We had a little thing, and we went, and she said, there's 26 letters. And I said, you know what? I can only remember 25. I don't know why. <laughs> oh, like, I, I'm scared that these are taking me, like, just a, just a why beat did the of bicycle a minute. Fall is, it, over? is it the speed? It was too tired. <laughs> Uh, I get it. Two times. There you go. But see, this is proving that the importance of authenticity and the presence of external social pressure, that's the awkwardness, uh, and the value of using one's voice and emerging with confidence, even if the reaction is less than a round of applause. Yeah. So you're teaching your children confidence and eventually corny humor. Sandy, God bless her, wants to tell us the science, and I just want to keep telling really Oh, no, I'm jokes. all for it, but I just, I love it when science works, you know, when we're connecting. I got a sports one, Greg. Okay. Why, was, why was Cinderella so bad at soccer? I, <laughs> she oh. kept running away from the ball. Yeah. Oh. Yeah, we got a greyhound a few months ago, and he will not go up the stairs, and, and the girls are like, should we, should we allow Knight to go up the stairs? And I said, I don't really trust stairs. They're always up to something. Nice. Um, I did look this one up. 
I'm so good at sleeping that I can do it with my eyes closed. <laughs> See? There now, you go. now you're starting to get now the feel. Now you're off on the rim shot. That's okay. Yeah, just See? don't rush it. Just I'm don't learning rush it. that social awkwardness is okay. Okay. <laughs> it is good. I'm the, I'm the test model here. How does the moon cut his hair? Uh, the the moon? moon cut his hair. Yeah. Eclipse it. Eclipse it. <laughs> Yeah. I should not be laughing uh, like this. So uh, take so a dead joke. Uh, share them with your children. It's good to make them cringe. They will learn and you're bonding. And we'll leave you with uh, one more Giannis dad joke. Why did the bicycle could not stand on his own? It was too tired. Oh, that was yours. We all have the same book. <laughs> Yeah, there's just one book. Over here. That's all. It is. It's just one book. All dads get it at some point in their life. When they send you home from the hospital, just one book. You get the book. <laughs> right. They send the book home. You with cut you. the umbilical cord. They give you a dad joke That's book, they and they do. say good luck. Yep. It seems to be working well. Well, we we welcome your dad jokes if you've got them. Go ahead and call them in on the uh, old National Bank Talk and Text Line eight five five six one six one six twenty. We can uh, share those throughout the show. I think on this Monday we can. All right. Up next, we don't get this very often. He's the best in the world at what he does for a living. He will join us live in the studio. Jason Belmonte. Oh, my gosh. This is exciting. Uh, Pro Bowler in town going to be with us live in the studio right after Debbie helps get you home. He owns 31 PBA Tour titles with a record 15 majors. The seventh time and reigning PBA Player of the Year representing Australia. The captain, Jason Belmonte. Fresh off a big victory, Jason Belmonte is with us live in the studio. This is such a special treat for us, Jason. Thank you for making some time for us. Yeah, no worries at all. I'm excited to be here. Uh, Sandy's been so excited. She's been giving us all a tutorial the last couple of weeks on bowling and the nuance and and, and what goes into it. I was the expert in the room until now. You totally were. So you take this. What what, What do you want to ask Jason Belmonte? I want to follow your lead. Oh, I think it's more of you. Well, I love that the everybody here at WTMJ. All our teammates have been very excited that you're going to be here because I said he's the best bowler in the world, on the planet, right now. There's no arguing that. Your titles, your statistics, there's no arguing that. And they did the research. like, oh, my God, you know him? You know him? And and he'll come visit? It's like, you've got the rare opportunity. He's in town for like three weeks for the World Series of Bowling. So, yeah. So So let me ask you about this. So when I was little and I bowled in a league when I was in grade school and then in junior high, we all threw with one hand and that was the coolest thing ever. And if I would have thrown the ball with two hands, they would have said, what are you doing? What are you throwing the ball with two hands for? And you have revolutionized this. How long have you thrown with two hands? Has it been forever, or was this an adjustment for you and something that you switched to? No, this is forever. So the long story short is my parents built a bowling center when I was born. A couple of weeks after I was born, they they opened the doors, and neither of them were bowlers. Never thrown a ball in their life until they opened up a place uh, purely as a business idea. And so when I was 18 months old, I was strong enough to lift the ball off the ball return all by myself, and I wanted to do it all by myself. Uh, but I could only do it with two hands. Now, because my parents weren't coaches, they weren't bowlers, as I was getting older, you know, two, three, four years old, they never tried to convert me. They were busy working. Uh, they turned on a lane, gave me a pair of shoes, and I was out of their hair while they worked. Meanwhile, I was just doing it the only way I could do it, which was to lift this heavy 10-pound bowling ball <laughs> with two hands. And so as the years were going on, I just continued to do it that way. And then... Uh, I think the big kind of uh, tell for me that this was going to be the way that I was going to do it forever was 
I live in a really small country town, and so everybody used to bowl the ball very straight. And bowling was new. There was no old bowling centre that closed down and we opened up a new one. No, it was the first time bowling came to my area. And so all of these straight balls going down the lane, and here I was as a six, seven-year-old curving the whole lane. And and that was so cool to me. No one else was doing it. I could do it more than everyone (laughs) else. And uh, and I was happy. So mum and dad were like, well, yeah, kid's happy and he's doing what he wants to do. Let's just keep doing it. Now, I will preface this and say I don't think back then either my parents or even myself thought I was going to get really, really good at it. Uh, and so maybe if they saw or they had a history of competing themselves, there may have been some uh, underlining moral obligation to help me and to coach <laughs> me. But none of them were coaches, none of them were bowlers, and they just let me do what I wanted to do. And now I'm so stubborn, I'll never change, never did. (laughs) And it seems to have worked out okay for me. As you were growing up bowling, though, was there ever anything else that piqued your interest as much as this? Is this your just straight-on passion? Yeah, I'm a very athletic person. I love to play sports. And back in Australia, like our two biggest sports are rugby and cricket. And so I was really good at playing those, and, and I made it to representative levels at those, but... Um, bowling is so much a part of my DNA. It was the only thing where if I didn't do it that week, uh, nothing else made me cranky. But bowling, if I didn't do it, I just had this built up frustration. And, uh, and I think that was like probably the very first time I realized like just how much this means to me is I've got to do this. I can't not do this this week. Take me to the bowl, someone, and let me knock over some pins. And, as I was getting a little older, I had to make a decision whether I was going to choose another sport um, because I was way more sports-orientated than I ever was academically. And so I had to decide where am I going to go. Well, bowling, as a teenager, I was winning these tournaments worth thousands of dollars. So I had I had money in my pocket. <laughs> and, you know, cricket and rugby, you know, until you become a professional at that level, you, you can't earn much money. So I was like, well, I think the love I have for this game, plus the fact I can buy whatever I want, um, I'm going to stick to this bowling thing. And so that's kind of the decision I had to make, and uh, it seems to have worked out. We are talking with world-famous professional bowler Jason Belmonte, a record 15 major championships, seven-time and reigning player of the year, many accomplishments. How does that make you feel when you hear me and other people say that about you? Yeah, it's, uh, it is a little surreal. It is, especially when, yeah, like you said, there's a, like a, an introduction and they have to, like on the PBA tour in particular, it makes me laugh a little bit and the guys give me a little grief for it. Um, you know, when we do a walkout and uh, the, the PBA is doing the announcement of me to the crowd, the, the list, it's, it's, it's very kind. It's long. And usually the players are like yelling at the, <laughs> the, the guy on the mic. Can we hurry this up? Move on! Oh, no. <laughs> We, we get know. it. Yeah. Stop. And, and in that very moment, there's like this kind of slap of reality hits me across the face and go, oh my goodness, like never in a million years when I was a kid did I, I, I didn't even know there was a PBA tour until my teens, but um, never did I ever think this is where I would be standing here in those things. And it, it does. It hits me every time. Even when you said it just then, like a little weird feeling came over me listening to it. I wish you guys would do the beer frame. 
right? I just you line up in one of these tournaments. It's the fifth frame. <laughs> if not everybody gets a strike, whoever doesn't get the strike has to buy the beer for the audience. Well, Can we get the we, beer frame? We do have it actually right now. Paps Beer um, <laughs> sponsor the PBA tour, and there is a beer frame. Yes. Now the players aren't responsible for buying everyone in the crowd. <laughs> well, you should be. If we don't. <laughs> uh, but there is uh, there is a beer frame. They also sponsor. I think it's a. Uh, a six in a row, six pack. There you go. Or if you get six in a row on television, I'll give you a thousand bucks. So, okay. courtesy it's, of them, I've got that thousand dollars a few times. <laughs> so that's nice. It's difficult to separate the beer and the bowling, especially when you're here. So <laughs> I hope you've enjoyed being here in Wisconsin the past couple of weeks. You're here for another week, but now that you've shared that you truly grew up in a bowling alley, how was it last weekend bowling at Holler House? On some of the oldest sanctioned lanes ever. That is a handset pins, tiny venue. Uh, it, but I think that makes it so much more special. Like, if it were bigger, I don't know if it would be as cool, to be honest. Like, you walk into the basement uh, of this bar, and here are two lanes that have just existed there for decades. And, you know, it, it sounds a little corny and a little weird, but there is this kind of... Uh, I don't know, this feeling of like you can hear a whisper of what, what, what has gone on down here in the basement before. And when you get to step up on those lanes and throw a ball, the thing that actually I really enjoyed was, well, now I get to add a little bit to the story of what this place is. And maybe in another hundred years, um, you know, there'll be people talking about when the P- PBA tour pros came and had a, had a bowl here at Hole House, but it's, if you haven't been. It's remarkable. And you don't even have to like bowling. There's a bar upstairs that's bloody amazing. And the people, it's like, uh, it's like a local bar in the end. And just everyone's just awesome. They have such a great time. The music was pumping. And then we got to bowling it for, you know, for, for a bit of fun. But in the end, it was, it was quite serious because we were playing uh, a USA versus the world, um, match there. And so once you step on the lanes, it's like, oh, this is pretty cool. Now I want to destroy the person that yep. I'm playing. And you have to like quickly switch out of that. Uh, nostalgia feeling, looking at this place and how cool it is to, yeah, it's time to destroy the other guy. Jason Belmonte is the best in the world. You can see him coming up. The World Series of Bowling going on? World Series of Bowling is happening. Uh, animal patterns are happening tonight, Tuesday and Wednesday night, and then the PBA World Championship match play. When will we see you at Bolero Wauwatosa again? Yeah, I'll be competing for the World Championship starting on Thursday. Uh, for me, if, if Thursday is a great day, then you'll see me bowling for the title. It needs to be a very good day, but if it, uh, if it is, I'll be bowling for the title, which I'm not entirely sure of that, um, of that time. You'll have to help me out with that. That one's over Sandy, the weekend, yeah. Yeah, over the weekend. 10 a.m. So, and 2.30 on, t- on Thursday. There you go. There you go. So that's that's the plan. Uh, and if that doesn't go to plan, uh, you'll probably see me there practicing because <laughs> I didn't win. <laughs> Jason, so good to have you here. What a thrill. Thank you so much. Welcome to Milwaukee. It's good to have you here. No worries. Anytime I'm in town, love to stop by.